Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode 11 Light Outdoors. On the mic with you, it's Tuesday. We're rocking right along into this week. I uh, hope you're doing well. Had a message this morning, uh, kind of put together. It, it all sparked off of something I read on social media. A good friend of mine, I've, I've used some of his material before, but world champion turkey caller and, and call maker, Wendell Rye, um, put some, some really deep thoughts on from time to time. And he did so again this morning. And it and it struck me, and I, I pretty much responded to him, dude, that'll preach. Um, didn't realize it was going to keep boiling on me till I had to do it. So I titled this message today, Ever Built an Idol? It's a question. You ever built an idol? Now, what Wendell writes is this. My morning Bible readings lately have been in the books of First and Second Kings. I won't pretend to remember all the names and the ancestry of the kings or their significance to that period of history. The one thing that does stand out very clearly is how many of the kings, even though they accomplished great building projects and defeated great armies, even when the Bible records in 2 Kings 14.3, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, a caveat remains after their accomplishments were stated. That caveat in the Latin means, let him beware, and comes from the verb caver, caviar, which means to be on guard. English retained caveat itself as a noun for something that serves to warn, to explain, or caution. So a warning is given following these great feats, as such as the one mentioned in 2 Kings 14.3. For example, 2 Kings 14.4, The high places, however, were not removed. The people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense there. Now, we read repeatedly about the kings continuing in their sins of Jeroboam, which led to the downfall of the people. Wendell says, I had to go back and find out what was the sin of Jeroboam. The sin was, it was breaking or defying the first of the Ten Commandments. What was the first of the Ten Commandments? We have to go to Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 through 6, and it reads this way. Verse 3 of Exodus 20 you shall have no other gods before me. Verse 4 says, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven, above or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Verse 6 says, But showing love to a thousand generations for those who love me and keep my commandments. And Wendell says, I didn't know about, I don't know about you, but for me, things get really quiet and focused as I examine what I give higher place to than God. See, it doesn't require burning incense or offering sacrifices or building of shrines. If we take the time to look deep and be honest with ourselves, we will begin to recognize our personal idols. So I would ask you again, in the light of my friend Wendell's thoughts, ever built an idol? Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, I've never built a golden calf or any kind of altar or anything like that. So we must ask ourselves, what exactly is an idol? Well, the definition of idolatry, according to Webster, is the worship of idols or excessive devotion to or reverence for some person or some thing. An idol is anything that replaces the one true God. 
The most prevalent form of idolatry in Bible times was the worship of images that were thought to embody the various pagan deities. From the beginning, God's covenant with Israel was based on exclusive worship of him alone. You see this in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, and Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 7. I won't open those up just for sake of time. The Israelites were not even to mention the names of false gods in Exodus 23, 13, because to do so would acknowledge their existence and give credence to their power and influence over the people. Israel was forbidden to intermarry with other cultures who embraced false gods because God knew this would lead to compromise. It kind of reminds me of that one scripture. You know the one, do not be unequally yoked. When we're unequally yoked with things, that's not just talking about dating some dude or some girl. When we're unequally yoked, when we're bound in relationship unequally, when when you know, light and darkness have no place with each other is what the Bible goes on to say there. So when we're unequally yoked, it leads to compromise. And God knows this, so that's why he says what he says. The book of Hosea uses the imagery of adultery to describe Israel's continual chasing after other gods, like an unfaithful spouse chasing after other relationships. The history of Israel is a sad chronicle of idol worship, punishment, restoration, forgiveness, followed by a return to idolatry. It was like this circle thing going on. The books of First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and First and Second Chronicles reveal these destructive patterns. The Old Testament prophets endlessly prophesied dire consequences for Israel if they continued in their idolatry. Mostly, they were ignored until it was too late, and God's wrath against idol worship was poured out on the nation. But we serve a merciful God, and He never failed to forgive and to restore them when they repented and sought his forgiveness. Sometimes it took a deep well to fall into before they figured out where they were at. And then they would do it again. I still have struggled with all of that. But yet today, we do the same thing. We cry out to God because we're in trouble. And he rescues us because of our repentant heart. But then when things are going good, we find ourselves wallowing in the same pit we were before and back into the same hole that we fell into before having to cry out for God once again. Thankfully, he is a merciful God, and he always forgives and restores when we repent. In reality, idols were impotent blocks of stone or wood, and, and their powers exist only in the minds of the worshipers. The idol of the god Dagon was twice knocked to the floor by God to show the Philistines just who was God and who wasn't, First Samuel 5, 1-5. The contest between God and his prophet Elijah and the 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel is a dramatic example of the power of the true God and the impotence of false gods. That's 1 Kings 18, 19-40. The testimony of Scripture is that God alone is worthy of worship. Idol worship robs God of the glory that is rightfully his, and that is something that he will not tolerate. It talks about that in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8. Even today, there are religions that bow before statues and icons, a practice that is forbidden by God's word. The significance God places upon it is reflected in the fact that the first of the Ten Commandments refers to idolatry. 
Exodus 20, verse 3 through 5 says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall make no for yourself no an idol in any form or anything in heaven or above or on the earth or beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for their sin of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation to those who hate me. Remember verse 6, though, goes on to talk about for those who repent. Idolatry extends beyond the worship of idols and images and false gods. Our idol, our modern items, idols today um, are very varied. There, there's so many different forms. Even for those who do not bow physically before a statue, idolatry is a matter of the heart. Idolatry becomes pride, self-centeredness, greed, gluttony, a, a love for possessions, and ultimately, it's rebellion against God. This this self-driven society that we live in, this entitled culture that we live in, we can form up idols. It's in, is it any wonder that God hates idolatry? So again, I ask you, you ever built an idol? Today, as you reflect on this message, I want you to search your heart. D- determine if you're allowing anything to be pedestalized over your relationship with God. Y- you see, God's got to always come first or there's going to be a high price to pay. We're going to find ourselves wallowing in misery if we if we continue down the path of allowing other things to be placed before our relationship with God. And I know many can argue this, oh, well, I don't do that, you know, but we do. We find importance in things and we place that importance over the importance of our relationship with God. He has to come first or we're going to have problems. We're going to struggle through life no matter what. There's always a war going on between our spirit man and our fleshly man. That that spirit and flesh are always going to battle. But if we allow things, we, we've got to become very discerning and understand that we place things in front of our relationship with God. And it's going to cause us harm. It's going to cause us grief. And it's going to cause problems in our relationship with our Father. Amen. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I pray this message uh, strikes you today as it struck me when I read my friend Wendell's words. God bless you. Ron and I love you. We're praying for you. We're praying that you get your life in the right place and that your eyes are always continually on the Father. He has a task for you. He's called you for such a time as this. This is an exciting time to be serving the Lord, an exciting time to to be in the, the, the realm of truth watching his presence being poured out across this nation. Amen. We love you. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your prayers. If you want to support us financially, man, that would be awesome. We would greatly appreciate any support we get. You can find all of our giving links on our website, www.livingloudoutdoors.com, pinned right to the top of our Facebook page and our little story there. Pray for us, please. God bless you. We'll talk to you again real soon.